the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. 602 is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. Weigh in on anything on your mind. Uh, politics, culture, policy, advice. We give advice here, just not uh, medical, legal, or accounting. Financial, not medical, legal, or financial. Uh, but we have opinions about them all. It is good to see you, Mr. David Dahl, my producer. Thank you. And Mr. Bill, are you all ganging up on me to being north? And then Good, you got it you? right. We're all north. You're just all lined up against me. Yes, that's the plan. Robert De Niro and other Hollywood agonistes. From this morning's Washington Post, quote, Robert De Niro has accused the organizers of a film awards ceremony of editing his speech without permission, removing critical remarks of former President Donald Trump and other political comments. De Niro was presenting the historical icon and creator tribute award at the Gotham Independent Film Awards on Monday when mid-speech he paused and looked confused as he read off the teleprompter. De Niro continued with his speech and then said, I just want to say one thing. The beginning of my speech was edited, cut out. I didn't know about it, and I want to read it. The 80-year-old star who was presenting an honor for the film Killers of the Flower Moon, in which he stars, then reached for his phone and began reading from what appeared to be the original unedited script. History isn't history anymore, De Niro said. Truth is not truth. Even facts are being replaced by alternative facts and driven by conspiracy theories and ugliness. The actor cited changes to Florida's black history curriculum that require students to be taught that enslaved people developed skills that could be applied for their personal benefit, and added that the entertainment industry isn't immune to this festering disease. Close quote. Well, to start with the easiest part first, we know something of those Florida education standards. We had the author of them, Bill Allen, on this show. He's an old graduate school professor of mine, a black man, a former chairman of the Commission on Civil Rights. Let us recall the whole dust-up. While decrying slavery over 100 times, the education standards in Florida pointed out quite simply this one additional thing, and I'm quoting, to examine the various duties and trades performed by slaves— e.g. agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, transportation. Instruction shall include how slaves developed skills which in some instances could be, could be applied for their personal benefit, close quote. Those benefits would, of course, include literacy and other skills, which the likes of Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington spoke of, praised, and harnessed for their utilization in further education and employment post-manumission. Each one teach one was the phrase of art and how the saying went and the duty to teach literacy and other skills to slaves, for it was seen as a moral duty to develop those skills for personhood and growth. Why would you not want to teach these things? 
In fact, a year ago, you'll like this, Mr. Bill. A year ago, Harvard, the university, plumbed its history in the lights and demands of the whole Black Lives Matters and 1619 movements and issued a report on Harvard's history and connection to its past and slavery. Note this from the official report. I quote directly from the Presidential Committee on Harvard and the Legacy of Slavery. Close, uh, open quote. The committee thought that it was important to lay bare the difficult aspects of Harvard's history, but also speak to the resistance that is very much a part of Harvard's legacy. Professor Brown Nagan said, I am aware that the history we trace in this report is deeply troubling, but it would be a great disservice to our community if the only message that we took away was one of shame. We must acknowledge the harm that Harvard has done, but it is also important that we do not, as has been done in the past, bury stories of black resistance, excellence, and leadership. These women and men are also part of our history and also part of our legacy, close quote. Harvard's history of slavery brought on excellence and leadership, you say? Where was ABC in 60 Minutes? Where were the ladies of The View and Kamala Harris? Perhaps the governor of Florida, a graduate of Harvard who oversaw the Florida standards, learned from that at Harvard. But then again, if the findings from the official Harvard Committee on the Legacy of Slavery came from Harvard President Ron DeSantis, maybe ABC in 60 Minutes in The View and Kamala Harris would be all over him and them for saying what is nothing more than normal, save for the fact that DeSantis and Republicans generally are abnormal because not leftist. Robert De Niro, because he evidently is normal and speaks ex cathedra for all those in need of his political and public policy instruction, went on to say this, quote, lying has become just another tool in the charlatan's arsenal. The former president lied to us more than 30,000 times during his four years in office, and he's keeping up the pace in his current campaign for retribution. But with all his lies, he can't hide his soul. I wonder if Robert De Niro could answer this question if asked. Aside from bragging about the size of the audience at his inaugural, what lie did Donald Trump tell as president? I think I know exactly how De Niro would answer. I've heard the response so many times to that question, and it would be something close to this. Are you kidding me? He lied all the time about everything. Too many times to count. Ah, but can you name one? All the time. Everywhere. Robert De Niro is now evidently in charge of our and our elected leaders' souls, too, it seems. Did he say anything about a president that threw a 20-something intern under the bus and ruined her name and reputation for the rest of her life as he lied repeatedly to the American people and in legal depositions about his and her relationship? Does that go to a soul or a lie? Did he say anything about the current president, the current president, refusing to recognize his grandchild for years because he treated her as a non-person because he was protecting the decisions of his law-violating, drug-using, arrested development man-child of a son? Does that go to a soul or a lie? Does calling our exit from Afghanistan an extraordinary success constitute a truth? Does saying his son and he never talked business constituted truth. Does calling Republicans the party of Jim Crow and Jefferson Davis, Davis constitute veracity? 
Does saying the COVID vaccine keeps you from getting sick, going to the hospital or dying constitute a fundamental lie or does it not, Mr. De Niro? Does the CDC removing in the cover of dark with no public statement the data on breakthrough COVID vaccine cases constitute any form of manipulation of fact and fiction? Does the denial of learning loss from school closures constitute any remorse of fact or soul? In fact, what Mr. De Niro is himself doing here is the work of the charlatan's arsenal, about which he seems so consumed. We can fix this for him and get him out of the charlatan's penalty box, for all he needs to say really is this, quote, as a liberal, as a Democrat, I don't like what Republicans stand for, close quote. That is all he is communicating, after all though he summons a moral superiority that he thinks we should all know from him, not of him, but from him. You see, Mr. De Niro has made a great many millions of dollars and received a great many awards for charlatry in a craft meant to portray actual enough to believe or to entertain actual enough to believe things, people, places, events from whole fiction. He is, after all, an actor, not a builder, not a plumber, not anything who does anything but portray falsehood. So perhaps it's not charlatry and untruths that bother Mr. De Niro after all, for he'd be unrecognized were they not so richly rewarding to practicing them in his craft. It's that there is a version of his preferred charlatry that is acceptable. Now, one could argue a political leader is in a different position than someone who sees you coming as a portrayer of fiction as his trade, to be sure. We enjoy living under certain presidents just as we enjoy going to the theater, and we expect something different from one over the other. But when you turn reality into theater and erase the difference between the two, as Mr. De Niro is doing by spouting off as he does, he is the guilty party in the charlatry, not those he politically disagrees with. Nobody, after all, pays Mr. De Niro for his political consulting or speech writing. They pay him to speak the untrue words of others in a way that is believable. He, of course, does not surrender political perspective or the right to share it as a result of his career, but neither do we surrender our right to think of him as a hypocrite, a fool, and the exact same thing he thinks of Republicans, simply wrong. In other words, there's no moral weight in what De Niro is saying, yet it is the mark of as much vanity as he ascribes to others that he thinks there is and there isn't. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Did you ever see the video of them doing it at a reunion on Dave Letterman's show? No, but I'll have to watch it. Yeah, it'll make you cry. Aw. It'll make you cry. And up until about a week ago when we started making sport of you for making not having sport of me. Yeah, for not having seen the movie Groundhog Day, did you know this song's meaning in regard to Groundhog Day? No, no. I didn't know no. it's And now is it your to... whole now that you have crossed the Rubicon and joined the culture of America and seen Groundhog Day as you did last night, do you now does it now all do a lot of things make more sense to you now? A lot of things make more sense. You know what? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna crucify me for this. I don't get the purpose of why he was stuck in the time vortex. Oh, except for just God's to find sakes, love. David! Is it that you won't learn, or, or you that can't. you can't learn? <laughs> <laughs> if I can, if I can quote Marty Crane. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh! It's a redemption story. Yes, he the more a he's person. a lousy and person, the more about? he has to live through hell. Murray did a lot of a lot of stories like like the Christmas one, Scrooge, which Fine. is appropriate to watch Let's next stick month. Stick with the text at hand. He did a lot of redemption. Stick movies. with the text at hand. I, I'm using allegory. Stick with the text and the primary source. Uh huh. Because he lived miserably and was miserable. He lived hell on a daily basis, and every day was the same. And every day, it's like what they say about sometimes addicts before they get recovery. They get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and everything is always someone else's fault. And then he realizes, wait, if I'm a better person, every day will be a new and beautiful day, and I will have joy in my career and the love of Andy McDowell. I just hoped he— Continued on. I think that. you need to watch it again. I oh think you missed goodness. the forest for the trees. I here. watched everything, but you missed the message. You got Hamlet without a prince. I, I, I missed the message. You just said you did. You didn't understand why. Also, Bill Murray. He stole a truck. There was a small groundhog who was driving the truck. Oh my god! He crashed in a quarry. This is literally forests and trees. You are literally talking about the trees and never saw a forest. It was a nice love story, if that's oh what you mean. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to do that audio when Andy McDowell and – this is one of my favorite scenes. There's so many. All Just right. To, here we go. But not the whole thing. I'll cut it off. But I, He's sitting well, down with all, Andy McDowell at a coffee home. shop, stop, at a donut shop, and um, he has the uh, – he's tilting his hat toward her, as they would say in the South – and she's having none of it and is saying what her requirements for a man. So that he can relive this day, 33 false. years, and uh, false. get the perfect date. Just give us the audio. Well, first of all, he's too humble to know he's perfect. That's me. He's intelligent, supportive, funny. Intelligent, supportive, funny. Me, me. Me. He's romantic and courageous. Me also. He's got a good body, but he doesn't I, have to look in the mirror me. every two minutes. I have a great body, okay, that's and enough. sometimes I go months. That's enough. Me, me also. Let's use me also as a new phrase around here. Me also. You know what? I, as as I was watching that movie, his, his variety of humor yeah. reminded me a lot of yours. So oh, I don't know did? if that's a compliment or not, but it, yeah, well, it reminded to, me a lot of you. To be compared to Bill Murray's comedy? Sure, sure, sure. I just hope it's the the woke Bill Murray in that movie and not woke the— Woke uh, Bill yeah. Murray! <laughs> right. All right. On a more serious note, there's a you did something very good, by the way. Uh, you taught me how to properly fold a flag. You betcha. I didn't know how, and you Can, learned where— Do you where. remember? <laughs> no, I never learned how. Where did you learn it? Uh, probably the Boy Scouts when I was little. Or good on they you. would have been called the Cub Scouts. Yeah, good I, on yeah, you. Yeah. Now tell us about this flag you brought into the office All that right. you taught me how to fold. Well, have you ever done something and you've been so just filled with passion and emotion that you just went out and did something on a limb that you probably didn't think about or weren't smart and, you know, setting up and... You yeah. just did it, yeah. just on a whim. Okay. Well, in my Thanksgiving holiday, I visited my grandmother in a home in California, and in Redlands, California, I visited an antique store that they have down there. And at this antique store, 
I was going around, and I've been there before because I visited my grandmother before, and of course that means I have to see all of the local antiques and the places that she was at. And while I was there at the store I'm familiar with, I saw something that I was not familiar with at this store, and that was their treatment of Old Glory. I was so offended by the way that they just had all of these flags scattered and all abouts on a table. And they were crumpled up, some were touching the floor. It just, they didn't respect our standard. And so, out of sort of great emotion for our, our nation, I picked one up, and I couldn't save all of them. I couldn't afford to save all of them, but I saved them a piece of my mind at the counter. And it was a 48-star flag with bloodstains from World War II, according to the tags that were on there. And granted, it was a little bit more than I wanted to spend at that time, but I did tell them, hey, you know, you guys may not respect the flag, but I sure do, and I know a heck of a lot of other people do, and I think you really need to have them hanging. And they said, well, you know, we we had them hanging, and people wanted to touch them and feel them and, uh, you know, examine them when they were buying them. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Then you need to fold them. And did you teach them how to fold them? Well, it was closing time, and I left them, and I left them more with a piece of my mouth than <laughs> the instructions on how to— But uh, you saved this one. Yes, I saved this one. And a 48-star flag. It's a 48-star flag. flag. Do you know the uh, colloquial nickname for a 48-star flag? I don't. It's an Arizona flag. Oh, right. Because okay. we are State 48. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you know why Hawaii Five O is called Hawaii Five O? Because they're the f- 50th yeah. state. Yes. Yeah, but isn't that also a code name for the extra-governmental organization no, no, which no, Jack no. Lord belongs to? No, you did a beautiful <laughs> thing, David. It's a beautiful thing, and God love you for it, and God bless you for it. And I know... I know what you mean when you say you couldn't save them all. I'm sure as the son of a preacher man, you know the story of the boy and the starfish. Um. A boy is on the beach where hundreds of starfish have been swept up by the waves and stranded there to die. I don't think I've And he's walking this. down the beach, throwing the starfish back in the water one by one so that they can live, so that they can survive. And an older man comes by him watching him for a minute and says, what are you doing? And he says, saving starfish. And the old man says, well, you can't possibly save all those starfish. You can't throw all those starfish back in the water. You'd be standing there all night throwing starfish. It won't matter. And the young boy looks around and picks up a starfish as he's about to huck it into the water. And you know what he says? It matters to this one. It matters to this one. Young David, uh, you uh, you showed what a good deed so shines a good deed on a on an otherwise weary world. Touched you, Mister Bill, didn't it? And you're hard to touch. Yeah, you softened our heart, Mister Grinch. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Every day I wake up realizing it's a day I get to talk to John Dombrowski. I look forward to it. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. His website, he brings us our culture and economy update. Happy Tuesday, John. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thank you for the kind words. You were, te- you were telling us about your store the other day, and young David was just in the previous segment telling us about saving an American flag mm-hmm. at an antique yeah. store in California. You have American flags up at your Prescott store, don't you? 
Well, the, the store's name is Liberty Lane. Yeah, it would be odd if it didn't. <laughs> you sell Liberty items and Lane items, right? We have a lot of patriotic yeah. items up there at the store, and we do have some older flags, I'm sure, Check somewhere out, in the store. Check it yeah, out, Liberty as Lane. As well as some other seasonable items. You yeah, I know. It's a fantastic place. Thank you, John. John, uh Everywhere I look on the financial pages and on the financial websites, we lost a uh, we lost a big one today, huh? An icon, yeah, yeah. Charlie Munger. Yeah, and talk of course, to us about this. Warren Buffett's not only Warren Buffett's friend, but his right hand man. Yep. Uh, the two, of course, were together for many, many years, and uh, it's very interesting. You know, he joined. Uh, I believe it was back in uh, in the seventies or so that he uh, he joined um, up with. Um, the Oracle of Omaha, mm-hmm. and uh, they've they've done a tremendous job over the years between Buffett and Munger. And it's interesting; they talk about his net worth. He was a billionaire in his own right, right? right? He, mm-hmm. uh, a couple billion dollars uh, of net worth. Uh, but they, of course, say that pales compared to Warren Buffett, who has more than a hundred billion dollars of, of net worth. So, uh, but they were very, very good friends. Apparently, very good. The philosophy was. Uh, in the eyes of Munger, was is to buy good companies, but buy them at a discount, right? Yeah. So, and that's you know what we call value investing, and yeah. that's a, a common theme and a common plan that many people utilize, as we do. And there are funds that seek value that we use as well as part of a portfolio for our clients. Uh, but that's the the basic principle, and over time, over years, uh, that has obviously done very well for them. So. Uh, something for people to consider. Right? Kind of a you don't fun want to pay local, too much. A kind of a fun local element or angle on this. Um, I only learned a couple months ago. Anyone who goes east of uh, east of the Mississippi knows that there's no such thing as C's candies, and uh, right, we, we love them here. Mm-hmm. I only learned mm-hmm. a couple months ago that Berkshire Hathaway Warren Buffett owned C's candies. Yep. I only learned today that that was because of Munger's genius, who persuaded yes. him as early mm-hmm. as the early 1970s to buy it, and it right. has produced billions of dollars for Berkshire yeah. Hathaway. It, it was a pretty good investment. C's and that's what his- candy. That's what his philosophy was, right? Buying companies that uh, you know had potential, uh, but they were just undervalued. So uh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting time for both of them, and they've done extremely well, as I mentioned. And uh, you certainly have to, the, you're got to take your hat off to him. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure that Warren Buffett is going to really miss him quite a bit, since they were, you know, attached at the hip for all of those decades. Yeah, but a long life. So. He, what, was he almost a hundred? Yeah, he would have been a hundred yeah. January first. Okay, he was born oh, January first, nineteen twenty-four. With all the yeah. resources. <laughs> yeah, you know, you think so, about that. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just just saying it's it's an interesting life that he's led. He was an attorney. He graduated from Harvard, and uh, he uh, he he had a very very fulfilling life. You think about these great geniuses of finance or investing or money, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Milton Friedman could do something good with this. He described, you know, the importance of how much goes into making a pencil, things we don't think about based on the genius of one person. You think about what Rockefeller or Carnegie or Thomas Edison or a Henry Mm -hmm. Ford or a Sam Walton created and did, you know, and we just move on in life without much thinking about it. But our lives would be very much different. And I have a feeling that would be true of Munger as well. Uh, I I would agree. And uh, we're going to probably be talking about this, you know, at some point when 
you know, the second half of this yeah. uh, group passes away. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, it'll be a, a loss for the industry. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I uh, maybe I, I'd put Steve Jobs in that category, by the way, too. I yeah, think. Steve. Yeah, you bet. I think. Yeah, I would. Steve Jobs was another one. Yeah. And, uh For Apple. Yeah. And then you have uh, uh, Microsoft, of course. Uh, now we've got uh, Elon Musk. Yep. You've got. Uh, yep. Some of the new ones with Nvidia. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so there are there are things happening out there, uh, and we're going to realize that over. You know, maybe the next uh, five, ten years that we're going to look back and go, "Wow, this this changed a lot of things yeah. in our life. All Made it easier. Has, yeah. Maybe some, maybe some will be a little bit, uh, will be a little bit scared of. Well, but, we'll uh, see. We'll see. But all great history is biography, and good to memorize, yeah. memorialize this. Well, thank you, JD. You betcha. Again, folks, you can go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Request an appointment there with me. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Henry Sipic, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Nailed Thanks, it. Sir. Thank you, yep. sir. Boy, what a voice. What a tragedy. What an early lost life, Keith Whitley. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John is from Peoria and is on the line. Hello, John. Hi, Seth. How are you, buddy? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I went to the dermatologist and I wore my uh, stand nine line stand with Israel T-shirt. Oh and wow! Okay. I got a thumb. I got a thumbs up from one lady that was coming out of the uh, the doctor's office. Well, there. I hope you got a thumbs up from the dermatologist too. Well, he didn't see it because I was already. <laughs> I meant <laughs> I on your was. other layers, like your epidermal <laughs> yeah. layers. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> no, I don't have any tattoos. All no right. tattoos. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. So forgive me two seconds because yes, I'm going to be paying for my uh, In and Out burger here. So hold on for two. Fine. Thank you. <laughs> Let me put you on hold <laughs> and we'll come back. <laughs> I'm just giving her the card. All right. That's uh, fine. I know. All right. I have. All right. So We're good. We're gonna, good. I was going to say, um, did you see the story where. Um, uh, there was a hostage that escaped. I guess he was released, too, by Hamas. And then the civilian population turned him over to Hamas. Did you see that? He no. was disoriented. Wait, wait which, what, what happened? How did, how, what, what took place here? There was a hostage that escaped from Hamas. Okay. And um, he was disoriented. He was disoriented. And he, well, he escaped from them, and he was disoriented, and he was trying to find. Oh yes, yes, yes. I saw this on fire. I'm, I'm okay. I I was thinking the other way. I thought you meant okay. I yes, got it. I thought it was a prisoner. Yeah, a a Hamas activist. No, right. Yes, the general population or civilians turned him into Hamas. Yes. And what I'm going to say is that these people, just like the Nazis, I mean, not every German was a Nazi, but there was a huge portion of that population that bought into the hatred. Mm-hmm. And these people are from a childhood are taught to hate Jews with a passion. And the only Jew is a good, uh, the, the only Jew that's a good Jew is a dead Jew. That's what these people, these Palestinian people are taught. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know there is a, um... I'm not- I'm going to say I'm not I'm not to say eliminate them all. No, no, no of course not. not. Of course not. But it does it does raise certain questions that Hannah Arendt and other philosophers have raised about what constitutes innocence in a war and what constitutes guilt in a war. 
And uh, William Buckley was doing this on television. Did you see this, young David? We were watching some old William Buckley works, and he was talking about actions in a just war. If Ivan is uh, carrying the plane with uh, the nuclear weapon to attack uh, the United States, is he a justifiable target? Most people would say yes. What about the person who gives the orders? Most people would say yes. What about the person who runs the factory that mines the whatever it is you put in a nuclear weapon that builds that weapon, knowing what that weapon will be used for? These questions continue on downward. There is polling on this, not only the election of 2006, of course, in, in Gaza, but a brand new poll out from the Arab World for uh, Arab World for Research and Development that was uh, uh, taken on November fourteenth, twenty twenty three, and they surveyed. <clears throat> this is a pretty. Uh, uh, this is a, a respected Arab polling research firm. They surveyed male, men and women, uh, people from both the West Bank and Gaza, Palestinians from both the West Bank and Gaza, on their levels of support for what happened on October 7th, and then various ancillary questions from there. In both cases, interestingly, in some cases higher in the West Bank, which isn't Gaza, than in Gaza, overwhelming 65, 70, 75 percent support for what took place on October 7th. Um, and And it does raise this very interesting question. If you support the regime of terror, do you still get a completely get-out-of-free-jail card in a war that your people that you support uh, engage in, initiate? And it's obviously a question that has dominated all kinds of philosophical debates for years. But are you innocent? Are you an innocent civilian if you help contribute to the unjust war effort? No, they're not. And that's the right answer. And that's the right answer. No, they're not. Right. And I mean, uh, I don't know, like, after World War II, didn't they have denazification? I don't even know if it's helpful with these people, because a lot of them are really uneducated. Well, I don't even know if they they're, understand. Well, they're, mis- they're, they're certainly miseducated and misinformed, and you put your finger quite rightly on it. You can see the videos online for all who care to see how they teach kindergartners and how they teach uh, young children to... Um, to venerate suicide bombings and uh, killings. It's just a very, very, very different culture that Israel is involved in fighting. Um, it is a culture of, in, in, in the decisive respects of Fatah movements and the Fatah-run West Bank, as well as the Hamas-run Gaza areas, that these people are taught to hate and to celebrate murder and death on a grand scale, on a genocidal scale. And Israel, Israelis just don't do that. That's not who they are. That is not what they do. That is not what they teach. That is not what they practice. How do you fight a war with these people? Yeah, even Dennis said, uh, even the Nazis, they hated the Jews and they wanted to kill the Jews. Even the Nazis were maybe a little bit ashamed of it and they tried to hide it. These guys don't even try to hide it. No, there are the stories, of course, too, of even hiding it in front of the the concentration camps. There's that great speech by, you can go and get it online, by Antonin Scalia from about uh, 15 years ago, uh, speaking at the Holocaust Museum about the German 
culture and uh, and and how these Germans would would go home and not speak of these things. Um, here we have tape recordings of people calling their parents and relatives bragging about how many Jews they killed. This is a celebration activity. This is a fiesta of death for them. This is a bloodlust and a blood march. And I don't I, I don't know how you fight it other than the way Israel is fighting it, which is to say as best you can, minimizing civilian casualties as most you can when an enemy uses civilians as body shields. I don't know what more you can do. I just, it is an impossibly awful situation. Uh, and awful might be the wrong word. Terrible might be the better word. But it, it is an impossible situation. And when you have the opportunity to eliminate them so that you don't lose more innocent life, Take the memo. Eliminate them. Portions of this show are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a secure investment, and it actually helps people. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not tied to the stock market or the Fed. A lot of flexibility. You're in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. No fees. Peace of mind, no attack on principle if you ever need your money back and you get your monthly statement with no surprises. Why Refi is offering up this secure and collateralized portfolio for you. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. My friends at Refi, they're trustworthy and honest. Check them out. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com or 888-YREFI24. We are in the holiday spirit here. We will commence the music on Friday. Hard start on Friday. Hard start on Friday. And we're doing ticket giveaways. Get into the holiday spirit with Pratt Brothers Christmas at Rawhide from the winners of America's Great Christmas Lights fight on ABC. The Pratt Brothers bring you the biggest Christmas celebration in Arizona, featuring over six million lights, a massive gingerbread house light show, nightly Christmas parades, magical train rides, a pro stunt show in the theater, Christmas characters, live entertainment, and much, much more. We're giving away family four packs of general admission tickets for this Sunday, December 3rd, or next Wednesday, December 6th. For the next caller here at 602-508-0960, if you are equally free on Sunday or Wednesday, you might want Wednesday just because I think Sunday will be a bunch more crowded. But 602-508-0960 for a family four-pack of general admission tickets to the Pratt Brothers Christmas at Rawhide. And uh, good. Looks like we have a caller. That means we have a winner. Uh, we've got a great show. Rest of the show coming up for you. Carrie Lake joining us at the top of the next hour. And Lewis Hallman and I, Lewis said he wanted to do a little something different with me today. His dad, Hugh, is in um, Europe, but uh, in uh, Great Britain. But Lewis said he wanted to do a little something outside the news. Talk a little political philosophy today. Go a little deeper, which sometimes uh, is good this time of year, or just sometimes good for the brain 
that has active mental furniture being moved around. Don't go away. A lot more coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 